Dueling Eagles, written by Chad Clabo, read by Derek Durlam, produced by Studio Conundrum, copyright 2017, Chad Clabo. Chapter 27 Ned opened his eyes when he heard the announcement from the pilot that the plane was descending. Lisa was asleep, so he gently nudged her in the arm. Are we there? she asked. Almost, Ned replied. I'm going to go and talk to the pilot. There was no attendant on the plane, but there was a pilot and a co-pilot, both of whom Ned had met before the plane took off from El Paso. The cockpit door was open, so Ned asked if he could come up, and the co-pilot waved him in. Have we been given clearance to land? asked Ned. We have, the co-pilot answered. It looks like we've been given priority clearance because we're a military flight. There are several commercial flights in holding patterns waiting for clearance. Is that unusual? asked Ned. In my experience, said the pilot, it's very unusual. The only reason I can think that there would be this many planes waiting to land is if all flights are being grounded. I asked the air traffic controllers about it, but they wouldn't confirm, not that you would expect them to. Anyhow, the pilot continued, we're getting ready to touch down. You should retake your seat, unless you want to buckle in up here. Ned made his way back to his seat and told Lisa they were getting ready to land. Once the military plane had landed, Ned's phone, which had been held by the Army during his trip to Juarez, was working like it should again. In addition to several missed calls and voicemails, there were also dozens of new texts, some from the Senator's office and many others that were related to his work as the Senator's aide. There were only two from Marlene. The first was from last evening and said, Where are you? The second, from this morning, said simply, Call me. There was a car with a military driver waiting for them on the runway. It wasn't far from the Austin Bergstrom Airport to the State Capitol Building, but it would still take 20 to 30 minutes to make the drive. I better call Marlene, Ned said to Lisa. I'm not sure when I'll get another chance. Okay, said Lisa, as she nodded her head. Ned made the call, and he could hear the phone ringing on the other end. Hello? The voice on the other end said. Hey, Marlene, you wanted me to call? You better believe I wanted you to call. What with all the rumors about the mass deportation last night and now the trouble on the border this morning, there's been what amounts to a media blackout down there. I was worried. You're not in El Paso, are you? No, not anymore, said Ned. But you were in El Paso. Marlene sounded shocked. And you didn't tell me. I ought to come down there and smack you in the head. Where are you now? Back in Austin. Are you coming back here? I don't know yet, said Ned. I'm going to meet with the governor and Senator Andreas now. The senator's there? The senator's here, yes, but I don't know if that's on the record. You'll have to confirm it somewhere else. Right, I'll call your office. So what are you doing in El Paso anyway, and what's going on there? There are rumors that the border was compromised, but the army won't confirm anything, and local communication has been cut off. We're actually getting more news out of Juarez. There's some organization I've never heard of taking credit for the trouble, the CLA? The Chihuahuan Liberation Army. Come on, Marlene, even if I could talk about this, I couldn't do it over the phone. Do you want me to fly down there? No, said Ned. Don't come to Austin. Definitely don't go to El Paso. Not that you could find a flight there. That's another thing, said Marlene. It looks like they're grounding flights, and there's something going on in New Mexico, too. What's going on in New Mexico? I don't know, said Marlene. We got notice about a half an hour ago from the local news agents about some kind of explosion, but they've gone quiet now, too. 
Usually some kind of news filters out, even if the official channels are closed, but hardly anything's come out of El Paso, so if this is related to that... Yeah, said Ned. I don't think it'll be the same, but you're right, it could be related. Anyway, I've got to go. We're arriving at the Capitol grounds now. Chapter 28 There was no waiting this time as Ned and Lisa were rushed into the governor's office. Senator Andreas was already in with the governor. Well, there he is, said the governor. Mr. Ned Albrecht home from the war. You know, Senator, I told this boy not to be stupid by leaving the green zone, and he up and decides to leave the country instead. Might I remind you, Arvin, said the senator, that your man, Stuart, went with him. Yeah, the governor replied. And look how that turned out, that lousy, no-good... Mr. Governor, Senator Andreas interrupted, might I remind you that we have a lady present? All right, said the governor. Is this the girl who got you out of that jam in Mexico? The very one, said Ned. Might I introduce both of you gentlemen to Miss Lisa Madero? Charmed, said the governor. Now that we have the introductions out of the way, can we get down to business? Ned, your friend is going to need to wait outside. Of course, replied Ned. He then looked at Lisa. I'll wait outside, she said, and turned around and walked out through the still open door before the governor's secretary closed it behind her. So why'd you bring her here anyway? The governor asked. She's undocumented. That's why I brought her here, governor. She helped me out of Juarez in exchange for passage into the United States. Now I'm going to make sure she gets that documentation. You know her brother's involved in all this CLA stuff. Yes, governor, she told me as much, and I was there during her debriefing. I don't think you understand, Ned, said Senator Andreas. The CLA wasn't on anyone's radar until after you got back from Juarez, but now that we've looked into their CIA file, we know a lot more. It turns out Miss Madero's brother is one of the leaders in their organization. Yeah, said the governor. He's not the top dog, but he's pretty high on the food chain. So the CIA does have agents on the inside, said Ned. Not exactly, replied the senator. The agents in Juarez were working with informants on the inside, but everything's gone dark since last night. We think the Chihuahuans might have hit the CIA office in Juarez. I heard there was something going on in New Mexico, too, said Ned. Do we know what that's about? That, said Senator Andreas, is why we started grounding planes. Who knows how far these terrorist attacks are going to go? What attacks, Senator? What's happened in New Mexico? The CLA blew up the Elephant Butt Dam, said the governor. They blew up the Elephant Butt Dam, asked Ned. That's what I said, replied the governor. The bastards blew up the stinking dam. It looks like that was their plan from the beginning. Senator Andreas looked at Ned. Control the dams in El Paso, then destroy the Elephant Butt Dam. The water released from the reservoir will flood their dried-out farms with irrigation water. It's subtle politics for sure, but the issue of water rights is one that a lot of people will get behind, especially during a drought. You think they're playing politics? asked Ned. You can't build an army without playing some politics, said the governor. Before there was General Washington, there was the Continental Congress. But aren't there other dams along the way to El Paso? asked Ned. And won't the water flood every town along the way? The city of truth or consequences, New Mexico, sits below the dam and has already been destroyed. There are dozens dead, hundreds missing. 
With all the water, the Rio Grande is completely flooding all its banks and even cutting new paths along the way, and every town in its path is in danger. We've already ordered some evacuations, and the President will be addressing Congress soon. There's one more major reservoir downstream, but it's expected to fail once the water from the elephant butt gets there. How long until that happens? Senator Andre has looked at his watch. Probably less than an hour. After that, the water will pick up speed again for a while. There are other dams downstream, but they're only irrigation dams, and the water is expected to run over them. We're not sure if it can be contained through Las Cruces, so that entire city may need to be evacuated, even though it's not expected to be terribly destructive at that point. Probably survivable. When will it get to El Paso? asked Ned. The water won't get to El Paso until later this evening, maybe around nine o'clock. When it does, it will have lost most of its destructive energy, but we still expect it to put all the low-lying areas of El Paso and Juarez, including both downtowns, under several feet of water. So what are we going to do? asked Ned. What this means, the governor responded, is that whatever we're going to do, if we don't do it by tonight, we'll have to wait until the water's cleared. It'll start going down almost as soon as it gets there, but it'll leave a ton of damage and debris as it passes through. Even then, it's the time of year that snowmelt is usually filling up that reservoir, so it could be that the river will be raging for some time. And pray it doesn't rain. But what can we do by this evening? Well, the governor continued, the president has ordered all National Guard and Reserve units to be ready for call-up. Most of them can't get to El Paso today, of course, but he's also ordered every spare active duty and reserve soldier in Texas and other nearby states to get to Fort Bliss ASAP. The thought is that by six o'clock this evening, there'll be at least enough soldiers to take back the city, if the president has the stomach for it. He'll take back El Paso, said the senator. The real question is if there will be any further response. Even though we've been trying to keep this story under wraps, people have already been crying for blood. There are those that think the Mexican government must have been complicit in the attack and want a military retaliation. They just don't believe that this insurgent army could be so well organized without help from the Mexican government. But Mexico City would never be involved in something like this, said Ned. Of course not, said the governor. They've got less spine than the fools in Washington. He looked at the senator, then back to Ned. Present company accepted, of course. Of course, said the senator. You said that the president will be addressing Congress, said Ned. Do you know what he's going to say? Not exactly, answered the senator. But we do know he'll be asking for congressional approval for whatever military response he has planned. He has the authority to defend the country from attack, which is why I'm certain he will retake El Paso. But he's on shaky legal ground if he decides to take the military across the border into Mexico without congressional approval. He doesn't need approval for a legitimate counterstrike, the governor interjected. There's also the question of how the international community will respond to any retaliation against Mexico. There's a certain school of thought that any use of force resolution won't be enough to make the important international players happy. We're Mexico's biggest trading partner, but there are still other nations that will work on behalf of Mexico's interests. That's all a bunch of hooey nonsense, said the governor. We're talking about the invasion of a major American city here. There hasn't been anything like this since the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and you have to go all the way back to the 1800s to find a bona fide invasion force. Regardless, said the senator, we won't know exactly what the president will say to Congress until it happens. We won't have to wait long, though. He's making his address at two o'clock. 
Ned checked his watch. It was a quarter after one. Just then, the phone on the governor's desk rang. Yes, the governor said into the phone. What? A video? Okay, come on in and bring that girl with you. Janine says there's some kind of video we need to see. She's got it queued up to play on the monitor here. There was a television monitor hanging on the wall opposite the governor's desk. The secretary came into the room, and Lisa followed behind her. This video was uploaded an hour ago, said the governor's secretary, but it's already been watched thousands of times. I just got a notice from the president's staff that you should watch it immediately. The three men stood around the television as the video started. Jack Stewart was on the screen. Ned recognized the setting as the courtroom from his farce of a trial by the Chihuahuan Liberation Army. There was a man on the witness stand that Ned didn't recognize. Ned Albrecht, said Jack to the man on the witness stand. You stand accused on behalf of your government, the United States of America, of stealing Chihuahuan land, terrorizing the Chihuahuan people, and illegally regulating the flow of water into the city of Ciudad Juarez. How do you plead? Chapter 29 The trial in the video went on more or less in the same fashion as the one that Ned had taken part in. It looked like they found someone else to play the part of Ned and reshot the entire proceedings. It certainly wasn't word for word the same as the first trial, but the broad strokes were all there, and it was probably even more effective to have the defendant in on the production. After the video, a man who identified himself as the supreme leader of the CLA took credit for both the invasion of El Paso and the destruction of the Elephant Butt Dam. The video was only about 20 minutes long, even though Ned's trial had lasted nearly an hour. So they either didn't shoot nearly as much footage, thought Ned, or they did a crackerjack job of editing the video for time. I guess it didn't do very much good to retrieve the video files after all, said Ned, looking over at Lisa. At least it's not your face on the witness stand, said the senator. It will be a lot easier to discredit this way. The governor's secretary turned the television to a network news feed of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. It was nearly time for the president to address Congress, and it didn't look like it was going to be delayed. Mr. Speaker, a congressman shouted, the president of the United States. There was clapping and cheering that lasted for several minutes as the president made his way to the podium. Congressmen, senators, my fellow Americans, at approximately five o'clock this morning mountain time, the border between the Mexican city of Juarez and the American city of El Paso was overrun by a Mexican insurgent group that calls itself the Chihuahuan Liberation Army. This group then proceeded to invade El Paso and now occupies much of the city. This same group is also responsible for the destruction of the Elephant Butt Dam in New Mexico and the still-growing number of American dead related to both of these events. In 1941, the last time an American city was attacked by a governmental foreign power, President Roosevelt called it a day that will live in infamy because of the unprovoked and dastardly nature of the attack by the lawful government of a foreign power. Today's attack varies from that one in that the official government of Mexico did not approve of or aid in this invasion. Therefore, we cannot hold the government of Mexico responsible for this reprehensible attack. We can, however, hold the government of Mexico liable for failing to control its citizenry in relation to our border in El Paso. 
It is our responsibility to keep our borders secure, but it is also Mexico's responsibility to control its own population so that it cannot engage in acts of war upon its neighbors. And make no mistake, this is an act of war. This is an invasion of the United States by a foreign army, and we must respond in kind if we are to maintain the justice and domestic tranquility that is outlined in the preamble of our Constitution. Under the authority granted to me by the United States Constitution as Supreme Commander of the Armed Forces, I will be retaking the city of El Paso and pressing into Juarez to eliminate the threat of this so-called Liberation Army. We cannot abide the threat of invasion along our southern border, and we will make it secure once more. I will once again reiterate, it was Mexico's responsibility to ensure that its citizens did not wage war upon the United States of America. For their government to have failed so spectacularly in this manner is for Mexico to have failed as a state. I ask that Congress declare war on the United Mexican States until such time as Mexico is once again able to properly govern its citizenry. Congressmen, Senators, my fellow Americans, may God bless the people of El Paso today, and may God bless the United States of America. Chapter 30 Well, that was dramatic said Governor Foster. Governor. Yes, Janine? The President's office would like to set up a teleconference with Mr. Albrecht. Set it up. We'll take it here. Actually, sir, the President would like a private meeting with Mr. Albrecht and Miss Madero. Oh, uh, okay. The Governor looked around the room. They can still use my office. I'm past due for a lunch break anyway. Join me, Senator? I take it we're not going too far? Just the cafeteria dining room downstairs. Sounds delightful. The senator then looked at Ned. I'll talk to you later. The senator then followed the governor out of the office and toward the elevator. Ned and Lisa had continued to watch the coverage of the president's speech. He slowly made it out of the congressional hall, shaking many hands along the way. It was about ten minutes later that the teleconference call came through. Mr. Albrecht, the president said, I'm sorry I never got a chance to meet you in Washington. We haven't met, have we, Ned? Can I call you Ned, by the way? Absolutely, Mr. President. And I believe we shook hands at one of the senator's fundraisers, but that was about it. Oh yeah, that time in Dallas, of course. And you're Miss Madero. I've got to tell you something. I really hope the two of you can help me out here. Anything we can do, Mr. President? Good, good. You know, I've got half my staff telling me I'm off my rocker calling you two right now. I've got a dozen world leaders waiting to talk to me. Let them wait, that's what I say. They just want to tell me I'm being a bully to Mexico. What about you, Miss Madero? Do you think I'm being a bully to Mexico? Well, they did attack first. See, said the president, even the Mexican girl understands. But that's not to say they weren't provoked by a lot of your government's policies, Lisa added quickly. Yes, I know, said the president. No one could have foreseen how hard the deportation program was going to hit the Mexican economy, and this drought isn't making life any easier for anybody. But that's all water under the bridge now. No pun intended. What we need to do now is address the current crisis and stabilize the whole situation. That's where I need your help, the both of you. 
This Chihuahuan Liberation Army of yours is practically hanging themselves, what with their claiming of responsibility for the destruction of these dams. It's not enough for them to attack El Paso, but they've got to go and destroy our infrastructure, too. Still, it would be helpful if we could capture one of their leaders, someone we could use to put their organization on trial. Like they put Ned on trial in Mexico? Lisa stared coldly at the president. Kind of, said the president. Same ends, but we'll use different means. It will be a fair trial, and we won't make any one individual answer for the crimes of the CLA. We'll put the individuals on trial, if necessary, and we'll use the individuals as witnesses in a trial against the CLA, if it's politically expedient, that is. So you want to capture someone, said Ned. But who is it exactly, Mr. President, that you want to capture, and how can we help? Well, there's the thing, Ned. We would love to have their supreme leader, and of course Jack Stewart would be a great catch. But if we could turn one of their leaders to our side, that would be even better. And since Miss Madero's brother is in a prime position, we would like the two of you to head back into Juarez, ahead of the counter-invasion force, and see if you can't convince him to come along quietly. You want us to go back into Juarez, now, alone? Lisa didn't look like she was warming to the president at all. Well, we could send a military group with you, or a CIA handler, that's up to you two. But I thought you might just want to travel light and lean. I read the reports about how you escaped back into El Paso. The two of you worked well together, and that might be the best way to go back in. No, said Lisa. I'm not going back. Don't make up your mind too soon now. Mr. President, Ned interrupted. I will serve at your pleasure, but you can't expect the same from Miss Madero. She risked her life helping me get out of Juarez so that she could escape what that city has become. I know that, Ned, and I'm not going to force her to go. I won't even make any veiled threats about imprisonment or deportation. She's here, she helped us out, and she can stay. What I'm offering you, Miss Madero, the president continued, is a presidential order that declares you a citizen of the United States and gives you a government pension. The pension isn't extravagant, but it's enough so that you could pursue what you want to do without having to worry about your basic expenses. So what do you want, Miss Madero? You could struggle with years of paperwork to maintain a resident visa, or you could go through the tedious process of naturalization, or you could have it all right now. I have the order here in front of me. One stroke of my pen, and you're a citizen of the world. All you have to do is say yes. Dueling Eagles Written by Chad Clabo Read by Derek Durlam Produced by Studio Conundrum Copyright 2017, Chad Claybo.